Thank you very much. All right, Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25. I have pretty much till today completely forgot this Friday is the Wild Game Supper already. Um, That should be pretty good. I'm looking forward to that. Where's Jake in? Is he ushering right now? Oh, bummer. Jake and I expect to see you at the Wild Game Supper. Matthew chapter... Actually, if you are there, you're churched, just so you know. Matthew chapter 25, starting in verse number 14 here this evening. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country, who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To every man, according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same, and made them five, uh, and excuse me, and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received the one went and digged in the earth, and hid his lord's money. After a long time, the lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. And so that he, he that had received the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I have gained other two talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he, which had received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, there thou hast, that is thine. I want you to notice the two different perceptions of the two, of the, of the two servants compared to the one servant and how they perceived their Lord. It's a completely different perception. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, Thou knewest that I reap where I sow not, and gathered where I not straw. Thou oughtest therefore to have put my money to the exchangers, there at my coming should have received mine own with usury. Take therefore the talent from him, and give it unto them that have ten. For unto everyone, uh, uh, everyone that hath... By the way, I want you to notice this. It's kind of neat. Notice that one servant still has all ten talents. For, for unto every one that hath shall be given, and he that hath abundance from him that hath not shall be taken away, even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we certainly do love you. We thank you for your word. 
Lord, I ask your blessing upon the service tonight. Lord, I pray for your help, your mercy, and your grace. Lord, that you would work. Control what I say and how I say to help me to stay true to your word. Use us to strengthen us, to help us. Lord, help us to be obedient to you in regards to uh, faith promise, what you'd have us to do towards this next year. Guide our church. Help us to be simply obedient unto you. Lord, use us to be effective not only here in Anchorage and Alaska, but throughout this world for the cause of Christ. Lord, please work. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted. I pray for that conviction and that drawing. Lord, I pray and ask this in Christ's name. Amen. And uh, there's a famous poem, um, Maud Mueller, and it, it has a powerful statement in it. It says this, Of all sad words of tongue or pen, the saddest are these, it might have been. How often do we look back at life and think what might have been? What opportunities did I miss? You can think of the multitudes entering eternity wondering what might have been. How could I have done this different? What choices did I make that I would change? That statement in that poem simply dealt with missed opportunities. Regret that can come in as a result. This parable deals with wasted opportunities. Wasting what God has given you. We have an opportunity before us once again this year when it comes to faith promise. It's an opportunity for us that we need to pray and seek God what He would have us to do. Don't waste the opportunity you have before you to do something of eternal value. The parable itself, as we get into this, of course, it has different viewpoints and controversy, but you'll see it's, it's, it just deals with that last servant, people trying to determine if he saved or lost. As it's easy to see, he's lost, especially in context of what Christ is talking about in the chapter and in the previous chapters. But I want to try and look at this from the angle of our responsibility, our stewardship before God and the opportunity we have. One of the most precious things, really probably the most precious thing we have outside of salvation is time. It is time that gives us the opportunity to use our life, the talents that God has given us, and time as we all know. I mean, those of you that are perhaps under 25, it probably hasn't quite registered yet, but I promise you that day's coming. When you are going to realize how fast life goes. Apart from salvation, the most precious thing that God has given you is time. We're heading into, again, this, uh, our faith promise, our missions week. Seeking what the Lord would have us to do. How we use our time, how we use our talent is so important. Our time is the one that's most limited. I can actually lose different talents or resources and gain them back, but time I never will. I mean, you can, you, you can have the best basketball player on your team, but the truth is if the clock runs out, all his ability doesn't matter anymore. It's done. Or if the coach simply has him sitting on the bench, his ability doesn't matter. 
We do not want to waste the opportunity that we have been given in this life. We don't want to look back and say what might have been. We want to be faithful with the time and the opportunity and the talents that God has given us. Again, I think in understanding and getting to the heart of the parable itself in regards to stewardship, we see the context. Prior to this is the parable of the ten virgins. Now, actually we've got to back up prior to that because it was Christ. This is when Christ was asked of the disciples when the end is going to come. Christ describes a tribulation time, all those things are going to come to pass. And then he gets into these, these set of parables here to teach an important lesson. As he got into the parable of the ten virgins, he looked at a group of people that appeared to be ready, that thought they were ready for the return, but they weren't. They were lost. They looked apart, but when the time came, they were lost. So it dealt with the waiting aspect. That was the context of, uh, of, and of course, uh, you know, when we preach through the book of Matthew, this is one of the messages from there. And we, we looked at the virgins as well and talked about how the, the whole process of the Jewish wedding and that, that anxious time of waiting for the bridegroom to come and all that that entailed and how they would go about it. And so I dealt with it, the waiting, just like now, us now even waiting for the Christ return. That is our hope. It's what we're waiting for. But there are multitudes who are waiting in vain. They have never truly been converted. Then when Christ comes to this parable, which is connected still to the first parable, it deals with working while we wait. And our responsibility to work while we wait for the Lord's return. In making sure that we are a wise steward with what God has given us. The devil's going to work much to steal your purpose. Why you think you're on this earth. Uh, um, I mean, he's even stealing identity of people right now. It's insane. He's successful at it. I mean, we forget one of the Bible principles is about denying self. Yet the whole world movement is about, no, you looking to self. We need to understand how wretched we actually are. <clears throat> We're going to break this parable down. We're going to look at the stewardship that has been given. Then when I'm going to look at the stewards and their servants, the servants and their stewardship, how they, what they went about doing, and then getting into the rewards for it. So first off, let me look at the stewardship that was given to each of them. Verse 14, it says, For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. Then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them five other talents. Let me stop there. Starts off with that phrase, the kingdom of heaven, and that encompasses a lot. Let's define that. And remember, you always, always, always allow the Bible to determine context. Like right now, if you're to go through different commentators, you're going to have different ones that are going to try and pigeonhole that statement and what it means. But I'm going to show you right from the Bible how you always let the Bible determine what it means by that statement. Okay? Let me show you how it's used different ways within the Bible. The kingdom of, I mean, whenever you, again, you ever see the mention of it, one of two things is meant every single time when it is in the Word of God. Sometimes the term kingdom of heaven is used for those 
who are in Christ, the saved, those who have been redeemed, and that's it. Nobody else outside of it. We see that in the Bible. Other times, it refers to the entire scope of God's kingdom, as we see it even here in this context. In this realm, there are saved and lost. Many who look like they are real, but are not. For instance, in Matthew 25, the kingdom of heaven likened unto ten virgins. Five were lost, five were saved. That encompassed saved and lost. It encompassed both. Um, We can see that in Matthew 13, 24. It is used in reference to the kingdom of heaven to wheat and tares. Matthew 13, 47. The fishermen net gathering every kind, good and bad. Context lets you know what it's referring to. Matthew 18, 3 refers to just the saved. And that's it. Context determines how you apply it. So we have this this Lord, this Master, and He is leaving for an undisclosed amount of time. He doesn't say, says He's going to go for a while, but He doesn't tell Him how much, how long He's going to be gone. So before He leaves, He calls three servants. He knows all three of them. He knows what they can do. And He distributes to each of them a certain number of talents. Now, let's remember what a talent is. We really got more into this when I went through the book of Revelation. What a talent is. A talent weighs between 90 and 120 pounds. Sometimes it was determined when they would distribute a talent by what the man could lift. It was usually between a 90 and 120 pounds. When it came to currency, which is our context here, it was dealing with either gold or silver. So we're dealing with a substantial amount of money. One talent would be a very large sum. Sometimes we think, well, the one servant was just given one talent, like we think he was given $10. No, he was given a substantial amount of funds. It is said that one talent was equal to 20 years worth of the average wage. One talent. So, the Lord brings the servants He says, listen, I'm going to be gone for a while. However, I have a task I want each of you to do. I know your abilities. I know what you can do. And so he distributes five talents, two talents, one talent. And he gave them a responsibility to use that wisely. Clearly, obviously, the man in the parable... Uh, represents the Lord. We are the servants. When it comes to talents, it's as if all of us, our life is as if he's given us this bag from him, if you will. What he has given us to be a steward with. And it's different for all of us. But you are responsible for the time that God gives you, the talent, the resources, what God gives you. You are responsible before him. And a day of reckoning is coming. He has given you life, and He has given you opportunity. Where you're at is not a surprise to God. What has taken place in your life, none of it is a surprise to God. He has placed you in a particular situation, and you are to be a steward with that life and that opportunity that has been given. 
We see an important principle here. Our Lord knows each of our abilities. He knows what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. He knows all of us are different. He knows all of us have different intellect. All of us have different strengths. All of us have different weaknesses. What God expects of me, He doesn't expect of you. And what God expects of you, He doesn't expect of me. The Lord knows what to put before you. He does. Just like the first time, let, let's, let's use Jerry as an example. I was doing the, uh, we can even back this up to Greg. Where's Greg? Greg Zuster, here he is. Remember when you handed me the, the, the church finances when I took that over? Yes, yes. And uh, so I, I got those from Greg. And began taking over, handling the church finances of the finance minister of Christ. This is going back to 1997, I think it was, or so. And then I was going to be leaving as the Lord was leading us on to. I was an assistant pastor here, of course, getting ready to go on to New Guinea. And it just so happened, and that's all of the Lord, because he knows what we're capable of. That prior to that time, I went to Jerry. I was trying to build a database, if you remember, on how to streamline the finances to make it go better. And so I was trying to learn access. Do you remember that? And then, I knew he was a computer guy. I didn't quite realize how good. But the Lord put it on my heart, get with him. Because this thing is taking up so many hours for me. It's working, but it's rough. And so I give it to him. All of the Lord. Know what the Lord knew one day? He need, would need to be a steward over just that. Which he has now been in place the longest term in this church that we have seen. Probably since 2000, 2001. So 22 years now in that place. He understands our abilities, our strengths, and our weaknesses. So he knows how to put you in place. So understand the opportunities you have in life, the circumstances that come up. You are responsible before God. He knows the opportunities you have been given. He knows those who have been taught different disciplines, where you're at. I mean, it's kind of like when I was in the, the Air Force, even recognized that when I was in the military. They would give you different schoolings. I don't know if they still do this. They call them SEIs. Does that ring a bell to you? You see, I'm too old. Yeah, yeah, he just went, went, went like that. They send us off to different schools. Wait, where's Bradley? Do you recognize SEI? Yeah, it's an enlisted thing. You guys don't work. <laughs> He's an officer. They, they don't do nothing in the Air Force. <laughs> We're the smart ones. We send our officers out to war while we stay behind. <laughs> and so I had different SEIs. So I had a different level of stewardship, if you will, based on simply opportunities that were given to me. Which is why, like, before I left, you remember 1998, that those were here. I'm assistant pastor at the time. I leave on a Sunday. I, I drive right home to my house, which is right over here. And my boss is waiting in my driveway. And I knew I'm deploying, I'm deploying. That's the only reason he's at my house right now. On a Sunday afternoon, I'm deploying. And I was. I was gone the next day. And the whole reason why that deployment, even, I only had six months left in the Air Force, in, in the Air Force and I spent it deployed. I was, I was out processing already. You know what the problem was? The different SEIs I had matched what they needed for the deployment. You know what I couldn't say to them? You know what? I'm not doing it. I had no choice within them but to be a wise steward with what was given me. 
It's the same thing with the Lord. The opportunities you have, what He has put in your life, you're to be a wise steward with. You need to see your life as this talent that is given to you by God. You are responsible for what God has given you. And by the way, every single one of us in here, your life is given to you by God. Every single one of us. Your life is given to you by the Creator. And I'll tell you what, here in America, we have been given great opportunity with our life. Much more so than any other nation in the world, and that's the truth. And guess what? We will be accountable for it. I mean, serving in New Guinea for 12 years, I began to realize that very quickly, that the opportunities that were placed before me that they never have. The level of education. I mean, all of a sudden, having to teach adults and others how to read. And I realized, man, the opportunities I had, they don't. Understanding was limited. The Lord knows what you are capable of and who you are. Therefore, the life and opportunities He gives you, you are accountable for. And as you'll see, God does not base one better than the other based on greater opportunity. That's fantastic. That's amazing. God does not base one better than another based on uh, more opportunity. He doesn't. The reward was the same. Let me, let me give you an example that I've, that I've given in many different sermons because I still remember years ago, I was probably 20 years old when I was reading that and, and, and it really caught my attention. And that is the statement that Jesus made about John the Baptist. There has not been... Yep, who said it? Greater. Greater born of women than John the Baptist. There's another verse. I remember at that time when it caught my attention, I flipped over to it. John did no miracle. God didn't use him to part the Red Sea. God didn't use him to raise anybody from the dead. He didn't use him to, uh, uh, for a, a, an oxhead, not, not, not the walls coming down around Jericho. None of it. And here is Christ giving this praise to this man, when in comparison how we think of it with different levels of opportunity, he never had. So, what made him? What made Christ say that? Because John fulfilled exactly what he was supposed to do with his life. With the life he was given, the opportunities that God put before him, he met it. He fulfilled it. He did what he was supposed to do. That's what God asks of you. I'm not going to be rewarded greater, or, or, or you're going to be rewarded, re, I cannot talk, rewarded greater than me um, simply because of position. You'll be just accountable in your position with what opportunities God has given you as I am of mine. And rewards will be based out equally based on that, on how faithful we were with the opportunities given. 
So how you use your intelligence, how you use your voice, how you use your time. We need to see ourselves as stewards before God. And one of the greatest opportunities that God has placed before us right here at the Independent Baptist Church is the gospel. I mean, number one, all of us are missionaries. We are. If we'd actually get our mind on the need that is actually out there. To see ourselves as missionaries when we leave here. The need for us uh, to be able to talk with others effectively with the gospel. And our need to reach the world. Which is what faith promise is all about. And please, Sunday school, be here for Sunday school on Sunday, because then I will develop the biblical reasoning of why we do faith promise. Why that is biblical, why that is scriptural, why we put together a systematic way to do missions. Now, let's look at the servants and their stewardship. As we know, then he received the five talents, went and traded with the same and made five other talents. Likewise, the one who had two, he gains two. But then the one who had the one, he went and he just buried it. That's what he did. So let's look at this. So the one who has five, he doubles it. Remember, he's probably given in the neighborhood of $500,000. Substantial amount. He doubles it. Just doubles it. The same with two. He goes and he doubles it. So let's talk about these two for a second. What does that tell us? Number one, they were faithful. They were wise stewards. These are two men that saw what they were given, and they were so grateful for the opportunity that was given to them. So grateful for this opportunity that was presented to them, I mean, and they wanted to show their Lord, listen, look what he's given to us. Look at this opportunity we have. I mean, of all the servants, he chose us. Of all that he could have selected, look what he's entrusted to us. Man, if we could see life that way, if we can see what God has given to us and just want to use it back, just, just to show, Lord, thank you. Let me use this wisely. Know what else it shows us? Because they were successful. But these are servants. These are, they're servants. How in the world did these men gain the wisdom to do what they did? To head out into the world and double what was given to them. I can tell you how. They watched their Lord. They were close to Him. They knew what He did. They knew his actions. They learned from their Lord. That's how they gained the wisdom and the knowledge they needed. They realized we were given a great responsibility. We have been to. With the life that has been given to us. With the time that has been given to us. With the resources that have been given to us. This is an opportunity to show our love and our thankfulness to the Lord for what he has entrusted to us. To double, well, of course, we know it means they doubled it, but for that to take place, it simply means just they went to work. We live in such a lazy society nowadays. We just want to get by with barely whatever it is. 
They did not procrastinate. They went after it. Do you know that that destroys so many? Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. We see the truth. We acknowledge the truth. But it's always tomorrow. When you know what you need to do, so do it. They did not procrastinate. That kills the opportunity of so many Christians. I'll start serving. I'll start my devotions. I'll start accomplishing this. They avoided laziness. They learned from their Lord. In order to accomplish, in order to double what they did, they did not get sidetracked. Boy, does this happen to us often. So many times, something comes before us to sidetrack us. Or, what leads to us putting it off is we get in our mind, the devil's a master at this. We get in our mind, we're going to wait for these perfect conditions and then we will submit. Those conditions will never come. It won't happen. The truth is it's an excuse that you're comfortable with that helps you sleep at night. Just make life about God. Make it about Him. The life you have is from the Creator. The opportunities presented before you, God knows. He's the one that plays. He knows exactly who you are. I mean, we could take, was it two weeks before I left? I've been gone, of course, at Fairbanks with the missions conference there. But you had held a meeting. Mike Moffat is on point that back there. A couple of weeks ago, just additional with some gun safety things and things like that. Is that right? A couple weeks ago. He's in charge of security here at church. And you know, the Lord has him here for a reason for that. I mean, I'm trying to think here. Um, who can I pick on for this? Brother Weaver, I'm going to pick on you, brother, right now. I'm going to pick on you. Something tells me that if I chose Brother Weaver, our church security would not look the same as it is under Mike Moffat. Want to know why? Not because Mike's better, but because of opportunities that God's put in his life that have, or opportunities that he put in Brother Moffat's life that he has not put in Brother Weaver's life. Brother Moffat has received different levels of training and whatnot that put him in a place where he can see things. He's re, you know, before the Lord, that's where he's required. That's his responsibility to use that before the Lord. Don't just wait for the perfect conditions. So these men did not waste the opportunity that was given to them. So often we allow things, we have an opportunity that's presented to us right, you know, right from God. It's there. And you know what? The devil comes in with something else. To steal it right from you. I, I mentioned him this morning. Demas comes to mind. Think of Demas. Having loved this present world. His opportunity, gone. He was with Paul for a reason. He was a steward of the Lord. The Lord knew how he could help Paul, how he could benefit him. But something, you know, he allowed his love for this present world to steal his opportunity. The third servant. He goes and buries it. And that was common in the day. 
That, that was not uncommon to do with a, with a substantial amount of money. You would bury it. That was, your, that was your safe. You would mark a location. You would bury it in the ground so it would be protected. You can think of different examples in the Bible. The Lord used that happening. It was common at that time. For instance, the, the treasure buried in the field that was found out and going and by the field before people realized, wait, we've we got, we got a treasure that's been buried here. It was common. That you would bury it. I saw that in New Guinea. They did that, they did that in PNG. Remember one of the men that I led to the Lord, he's a little bit older and loved them. And Berra, he was the one to give me a he'd always show up every Sunday with a pineapple or something for me. One time it was a chicken. I asked him, please do not give me another chicken. Many of you know that story. I'm not getting into that chicken. I'm glad he's dead. And um, but I remember he was dying of malaria. And I was at the aid station with him, and we knew it was going to be long. And then he tells me where he buried his treasure, where it was. And please go get it and just put it, give it to the church. And I did. Went there, and it, sure enough, it was there, and I took it all. Now, gave that to the church. can't remember what, I think it was the equivalent of about 30 or 40 U.S. dollars. That's what was there. Now, Let's talk about the good servants rewarded. So the Lord returns, as we see in the text. After a long time, he comes. It's the day of reckoning. The day of reckoning. They're there. Now, because the first two servants, one given five and two, they were faithful. They doubled. I mean, you could just imagine the excitement when they heard, he's back. He's back. I mean, they couldn't wait to tell him. I mean, you could just see it. They're not worried. They're not fretting. I mean, they cannot wait to stand before him and say, listen, you've given me five. I've got five more. You've given me 500,000. Here is a million. You know why? Just so he could see the look on the face of his Lord and hear those words. Well done. That's what he was living for. That was the motivation. And you think about it, how peaceful it is in life when you're serving the Lord with your whole heart. Paul talked of this, of having boldness in the day of judgment. Or where Christ talked about not being ashamed at His coming. Now, their commendation from the Lord was the same. They were both praised the same. The Lord was basing it on their faithfulness with the opportunity that had been given to them. And notice, I love what takes place here. They go from servants to rulers. Servants to rulers. And I do believe that this is a principle the Lord is showing us right now, by the way, that much of our faithfulness with our stewardship to God has a direct bearing on work, position, whatever we're going to be doing in the kingdom to come. We all have eternal life. We've all, we'll all be made like Christ. We'll have that sanctified. We'll be in that, 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 in that perfect body. We'll be without sin. But I do believe there's going to be different levels of service and position. And I believe much of that will be based with what we did with our God-given abilities and opportunities. 
which is why often we refer to Warren in here. Because he had, as we see it, such limited opportunity. But what he had, he was faithful with. I hope my little shack is not next to his. I remember watching him time and time again, just walking down with a little, that little suitcase thing he dragged behind, be in town, packed with gospel tracts to go and pass out. The Saturday market he loved. Now the judgment of the fourth servant. I want to read this again. Then he which had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. And lo, there thou hast that is thine. His Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gathered where I not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore to put my money to the exchangers, and then at my own coming I should have received my own with the usury. So let's talk about this. So now this servant comes. And I mean, just listen to what he says. He, he actually speaks ill of his Lord. He insults him. I knew you were a hard man. Reaping where you have not sowed. Gathering where you have not strong. He's calling him a thief. This shows his heart. Basically saying to his Lord, you're unmerciful, you lack compassion, you're too hard, you're too demanding. Let me ask you a question. Does this compare to the other servants and what they knew of their Lord? The two who heard, well done. The two who couldn't wait for the Lord's return. The two who saw the responsibility and said, yes, look what he's entrusted to me. I can't wait to use this right so excited about it, has compared to this servant's view of the Lord. Does it sound like he actually knows him? No. That's just the point, like what we see in Matthew 25, in the first portion with the ten virgins. He doesn't actually really know him. Do you know how many people have a wrong view of God that even claim they know him? Oh, if that's, if that's how God is, I don't want nothing to do with Him. You don't know what you're saying. You don't know God. There are multitudes who have a skewed view and an improper view of God. They listen to the world side. They feed their mind on that. It is skewed, on, on, on the, like we talked this morning, of the goodness and the graciousness and the mercifulness of God. And you don't know who God is. Those claim, oh, God is there. Well, that's God. Well, then I don't want to serve Him. I don't know how many people in witnessing to, well, if God would send me to hell, then I don't want to, I don't want nothing to do with him if he'd send us to hell. Or, 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 or the God, with everything going on in this world, if that's who God is, you don't understand God. You don't know him. Many people are just like this. Religion is too hard. It's just too demanding. God is too difficult to serve. They don't know God. They don't see His compassion, His mercy, His love. The very things that would lead them to repentance. The Lord's response to him, you wicked and slothful servant. So what the, the Lord does is immediately hits the true problem. See, the problem wasn't the character of the Lord. 
The problem was the character of the servant. That was the real problem. He mocks him, basically. Oh, so you think you know me? You think, you, know, you, you think this is what I would do? Okay, uh, he, he said, listen, if that's true, why did you not even put your, uh, 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 um, um, put your money to the exchangers? Which was a true system there. He didn't have to go and bury it. They had, a, they had a, the Roman Empire during the first century, and it actually carried on longer than that, they had an interesting banking system set up. If you had some money, you could take your money to the bankers, and, and, and you could receive interest on it. So what they would do is they would take your money, and they would loan it out to someone else at 12% interest. All right? When that obligation was fulfilled, when it fulfilled the requirement, they kept 6%, and you got 6%. That's what the Lord's referring to. He says, why, why didn't you go and do that? You could have at least did that. Again, because the issue wasn't the argument he was making. The issue was his own character. But so often, we don't look to like, we, don't, we hate to think that the problem is our character. It's always something else. This man really didn't know who his Lord was. He looked, he looked like the other servants. Looked just like him. But he actually didn't know him. This would be very similar to Judas Iscariot. He looked like all the other apostles, so much so when the Lord said, by the way, one of you is going to betray me. They had no clue it was Judas. Then we see is cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which, by the way, seals it that we are dealing with a lost man, which fits the context of those who look like they know God but do not know God, which is the, the, the principal point of these parables that were coming up at this time. So we have coming up our faith promise. Each of us have different opportunities put before us. What you're responsible for is not what I'm responsible for. You are responsible for what God puts before you. What I'm asking you to do this week is to seek the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm a steward with what you've given me. What would you have me to do this next year? Be wise with your stewardship. With heads bowed and eyes closed.